Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. Moved by your spirit. To show us more of the beauty of your grace that you've given us in Christ. We pray these things in his name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. If you haven't already, I do invite you to open to 1 Corinthians. As we begin a new series... Through this book, we're just going to march through it passage by passage. The series is entitled, Called to be Saints. Which may seem like an ironic title if you know anything about Corinth. If if you've ever heard anything about Corinth, you probably just know this. It was a church that was jacked up. Like, brace yourself, people. As we go through this letter, we're going to see uh, members of this church suing one another, sleeping with prostitutes. We're going to see one member sleeping with his stepmother, and everybody else is cool with it. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, Corinth was crazy. You probably already knew that, but do you know why? Why was this church so crazy? It's because they lived in the midst of a crazy city, and they embraced its culture. The Corinthian church married its Christianity with the surrounding culture. And we look at the result and we say, that's crazy. But I wonder if we do the same. Like, have we married, mixed our Christianity with the surrounding culture to the point that the Apostle Paul would look at the result and say, that's crazy. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls not just Corinth, but all Christians everywhere throughout all time. He calls all of us. He calls us shades away from compromise 
with the culture. And he calls us to be a, a distinct people of God. Saints, holy ones, set apart ones. God's people set apart for God's purpose. And I don't, I don't know about you, but like to me, that calling, like it seems heavy. Like when I think about it, like in the midst of our current moment in history, I'm supposed to be set apart in such a way that to this world it puts Jesus on display. That calling feels heavy. It feels like a weight. It feels paralyzing, like it just glues my feet to the ground. If I'm honest, that calling feels impossible. It terrifies me. In fact, Every calling, I thought about this this week, every calling that I have ever had on my life has terrified me. I was called to be a youth pastor when I was 17 years old. Scared out my mind. I was called to be a husband when I was 20. A father when I was 23. You people called me to be a pastor when I was 28. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. I will never forget the first Monday I sat in that upstairs office and wept because I was so afraid. But no calling, add all those together, no calling scares me more than this. Jonathan, be a saint. How? Like I know me. I am no saint, prone to compromise and conform, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love for the comfort of fitting in with my culture. Like, how am I to live set apart, distinct, in a way that puts Jesus on display? How's that even a possibility for me? Shades, that's what we need to see this morning, and it's what we see in the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. See it with me. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. It's the title of the series. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Shades, hang with me for a little bit this morning. Anytime we start a new series and we enter into a new book of the Bible together, we've got some background work to do. And we got some background work to do this morning. We can see that even here, just beginning in verse 1. We can see right here in this first verse that Paul himself, he's got a history with Corinth. There's some background to this relationship. We're reminded of that because he name drops Sosthenes. Now, you do a quick little name search, little word search in, in like your Bible app, and you will find this name only appears here and one other place. That's in Acts chapter 18. Go back. I encourage you this afternoon. Read Acts chapter 18. You will read about the very first time Paul visits Corinth, this, this city in Greece. And the very first time he visits there, he founds a church. He ends up living there for a year and a half. 
And now, by the time he writes this letter, he's moved on. He's actually across the Aegean Sea in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And he's writing back to this church that he founded, this church that he lived with, this church that he, he loves. And he's writing because he's gotten word that things aren't going great in Corinth. He's heard that the Corinthians are confused and that their confusion has led to division. Corinthians themselves, we're going to see later on in this book, that they have even actually sent a letter to Paul with a whole list of questions that they're confused about. A lot of 1 Corinthians is him responding to those questions. But here's the deal. Between all of their questions and confusion and division, the thing that Paul can see clearly is that the Corinthians are marrying their Christianity with the culture of their city. What is that culture and I keep mentioning, what was the culture of Corinth? Hang on, we got some more background work to do right here, and this is vital. We're going to come back to it all throughout this series. The culture surrounding this church in Corinth is vital to understanding what's going on in this letter. The culture of Corinth, I'll summarize it for you under three headings. The culture of Corinth was one of self-sufficiency, self-promotion, and self-indulgence. Let's take those one at a time. First, Corinth had a culture of self-sufficiency. They had a, Corinth, they had a culture of self-sufficiency. You've you got to understand a little bit about geography to see this. Corinth is located on this little bitty land strip, this land bridge between the mainland of Greece. If you look at the map of Greece, it looks like Greece is spilling out into the Aegean and Adriatic Sea. That's what my teacher in elementary school taught me. It looks like Greece, so we call it Greece. Wasn't funny then, not funny now. All right, looks like Greece spilling out, and then below it, there's what's called the Peloponnesian Peninsula down here, and they are connected by this little bitty land bridge. On that little bitty land bridge sits Corinth, pinched on both sides by the ocean, so it naturally becomes a port city. If you're trading from the west in Asia and you want to get stuff east to Rome, you go through that port at Corinth because it was easier to pull your boat in and port it across the land for those couple of miles than to sail around the Peloponnesian Peninsula. It would save you six days. And you didn't have to face the precarious winds and tides around the, the peninsula. So it becomes this major trans like, like it becomes this major transport, place of trade. Not just because it's pinched by the sea, but because it's, only the, it's the only piece of land connecting northern Greece with southern Greece. So there's trade just flowing through it all the time. Like, like Corinth was crazy wealthy just based off of the tolls they charged and trade fees alone. It had all the money it could ever need, but its self-sufficiency doesn't stop there. Corinth didn't just have all this economic wealth. They had natural wealth too. They were stockpiled with natural resources that ended up making this city a hub of manufacturing. Like basically, trade, manufacturing, this is like a bustling cosmopolitan business center. And so what ends up happening is you get entrepreneurial immigrants from all over the Roman Empire coming across, seeking to make their fortune in Corinth. So you get this business atmosphere that's incredibly competitive, one in which if you want to make it, you have got to promote yourself. 
that's the second thing we need to see about Corinthian culture. Not only did they believe they were self-sufficient, had all the money they would ever need, all the business flowing in, all of those kinds of things, they had a culture of self-promotion. Corinth had a culture of self-promotion. Not just because of the economic factors I just mentioned, but also because of social ones. Corinth was an ancient city. It had been destroyed in 146 BC, but it was refounded. It was refounded in 44 BC by somebody I don't know if you've ever heard of. His name is Julius Caesar. This is right before he died. He refounded it as a Roman city. Yes, it's in Greece, but he populated that sucker with Roman war vats. Like the city had a Roman character. The form of its government was Roman. Its laws were Roman. You will find more Latin than Greek inscribed in the ancient ruins of that city. Like it was Roman to its core. And And that's important because it means that city embraced the Roman culture of self-promotion. New Testament scholar Anthony Thistleton, he he talks about how in Corinth they embraced uh, the Roman system of patronage. He describes it like this. They embraced the Roman system of patronage. We're choosing the right patron, it's kind of like investor, supporter, could ensure rapid promotion through the influence of the patron rather than strictly on personal merit. Getting ahead was the order of the day in Corinth. People would do whatever they could to get a leg up on the competition. Another thing that would often take place, we'll talk about this a lot next week, but in Corinth, people would often attach themselves to popular speakers who would come through, no TV, No radio at this time. These are your celebs. Popular speakers, rhetoricians, people with silver and golden tongues who could spin a phrase. They would attach themselves to popular speakers not because of what the speakers taught, but because of their popularity. And it would give them social clout. The speakers themselves didn't care about promoting truth. They simply wanted to say whatever would make them win in people's eyes. Like whatever would get them likes and clicks if that had been such a thing. They would have been the clickbait of the day. The the influencers who were only concerned with having influence, not what direction it was influencing in. Corinth was a city obsessed with self-promotion. Third, Corinth had a culture of self-indulgence. Corinth had a culture of self-indulgence. Indulgence. You can see that if we shift from economics and social structure, if we shift to religion and entertainment. In Corinth, it was, it was a smorgasbord of religion. Like, what do you like in a religion? Corinth has got it. Pick whatever God pleases you most. I've been to Corinth. I've stood in the center of that ancient city, and you can spin in a circle, and there are temples every way you turn. Apollo, Hera, Asclepius, there was imperial worship. And the goal of all of that worship was it was an exchange with the gods to get you what you wanted. Indulge in whatever you thought would satiate your desires. Worship itself was indulgence. Worship in ancient Corinth often involved feasting to the point of puking. It involved every kind of sexual practice that you can imagine. The city was known for its prostitute population. They had enough prostitutes in Corinth not only to satiate the desires of their citizens, but also 
of all the tourists. That's right. They had a lot of tourists there, not just a business city. Every two years, Corinth was the hot spot of entertainment as they hosted the Isthmian Games. You have not heard of that because we brought down the Olympics. The Olympics was the only ancient competition bigger than the Isthmian Games. This happened every two years, and it was a biennial indulgence in sport, sex, money, food. It was a celebration of the Corinthian culture itself, a culture of self-sufficiency, self-promotion, and self-indulgence. Nothing like the culture we find ourselves in today. All of this is completely unrelatable. Shades, the similarities are eerie, but not scary. Nothing about the culture in Corinth makes Paul freak out. Not like Christians freak out today about the culture that surrounds us. Nothing about the city's craziness turns Paul into a defeatist who, who just thought Christianity's a lost cause at this point. Corinth is just going to hell in a handbasket. In fact, Paul's primary concern wasn't with the culture of Corinth at all. His concern was with the church that had embraced it. Corinthian church embraced self-sufficiency. We're going to see that. We are going to see them arrogantly embracing a kind of solo Christianity where I don't need anybody else or anything. That's why Paul's going to have to write chapter 12 about the body of Christ and the members needing one another. And this kind of solo Christianity going, I don't need anybody except myself and my superior spirituality, self-sufficiency. Corinthian church embraced self-promotion. We're going to see this next week. They attached themselves to Christian teachers they thought would increase their social standing. We're going to see it when we get to chapters 12 to 14 about how even when they would gather for worship, they took that as an opportunity to show off their superior spirituality and promote themselves. Self-promotion. And the Corinthian church embraced self-indulgence. We're going to see them insist that Christian freedom gives them the right to sleep with whoever they want, eat whatever they want, drink whatever they want, even if that means getting plastered at the Lord's Supper. The Corinthian church married their Christianity with the surrounding culture. That, Shades, is the similarity that's scary. Because we've done the same thing. I submit to you that the majority of tension we are feeling within churches currently is due to the fact that we can no longer comfortably combine Christianity with culture and pulling those things apart is hurting. I submit to you that we have married our Christianity with culture in ways that we aren't even able to see. That's why we need 1 Corinthians. We need to hear the call 
that Paul makes to Corinth, the call he makes to all Christians in all times and all cultures, the call to be saints, set apart, distinct, not for our purposes, but for God's shades. That's our calling. And this whole book is going to unpack what that looks like. But it's not what we're getting to today. It's going to do that later. Right here at the beginning, I told you I'm just left asking, how's that even a possibility? How's it even a possibility to answer this call to be distinct in a way that puts Jesus on display amidst our our culture with all of its complexity. I don't have all of the answers. I don't know if any of you do, but I don't have all the answers to the complex issues in our culture. I don't have the wisdom to wade through all the mess in the church. I don't even know how to have victory in my own personal junk most of the time. How am I ever going to live in a distinct way that displays Christ? That calling seems terrifyingly impossible, a weight so heavy I can't carry it. And to that, Paul says, exactly. This calling is impossible, Jonathan. So he begins this letter by showing us three things that lift the weight of this calling and empower us to answer it. That's what we need to see for the rest of our time. Let's see. Number one, let's see the foundation of our call. Three things that are going to lift the weight of this calling, empower us to answer it. Number one, the foundation of our call. Reread verses one to two with me. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother Sosthenes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul starts the letter saying, I've got a calling, and so do you, Corinth, so do we, Shades. What's his? His calling is to be an apostle. Our calling is to be saints. Both of those callings, Paul shows us, have the same foundation grace. Grace. That's that's the foundation of Paul's calling. He's called to be an apostle. By what? By the will of God. Not because Paul earned it or deserved it, but because God graciously called Paul to himself. It's It's funny to me when you read commentaries at the beginning of this letter or really any of Paul's letters where he calls himself an apostle, Most scholars will say Paul highlights his apostleship at the beginning of his letters to assert his authority, kind of like a self-promotion. I would argue that he's doing the exact opposite. The word apostle means sent one. An apostle, whether we're talking about the biblical apostle or just an ancient messenger for a king, An apostle has no authority of their own. They come in the authority of the one who sent them, and their job is to point you back to them. Paul calling himself an apostle isn't isn't self-promotion. It's Christ-promotion. Isn't that exactly what he says? He says he's an apostle of who? Of Jesus Christ. That's who Paul promotes almost ridiculously. Did you hear it as Brad read these verses earlier. 
Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ, like almost on repeat. Paul sounds like a broken record. He points out that name nine times in nine verses. Because Paul is all about Christ promotion, not self-promotion, because he knows the foundation of his call. It's grace. He can't promote himself for something that he didn't do or deserve. And the same is true for Corinth and their calling. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. As Christians, we, we like to get very systematic with our categories when we hear the word sanctify, sanctification, any of that kind of thing, we immediately begin to think in categories of justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, God, by what he has done, has made me right with him. Sanctification, progressively I am growing in Christ-likeness. Glorification, one day I will be made complete before God. And those categories, they're beautiful, they're good, and they are helpful. The Bible doesn't play by those rules. And it will use words in all sorts of ways. And it will use the word sanctification to describe all three of those things. So when you come to the word, we got to ask, what is it describing? And what's being described right here is this. You have been made right, holy with God. That's what the word sanctify means. It means to, to make holy. We just don't have holy as a verb. We don't have holify in, in English. Paul is saying, you were made holy in Christ Jesus. You didn't make yourself holy, Corinth. You didn't save yourself. Christ did that. He died for your sins on the cross, taking the death that they deserve, and he gave you his righteous life, his right holy record. Christ sanctified us. It's a gift. It's grace, and that kills self-promotion. I can't brag about it as if I saved myself. I was saved. I can't boast about it as if I was the one who did the saving. It was Christ. The foundation of your calling shades kills self-promotion. Not only that, it kills self-indulgence. Because what is the call? Look again at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Saints has the same root word as sanctify. Holy, it means holy ones. You are called to be a holy one. What is a holy one? Holy means set apart. A holy one is one that has been set apart. In other words, you have been set apart not to pursue your own self-indulgent purposes, but to pursue God's purposes. You have been made holy, and now you're called to be holy. You're called to be what God has made you. Do you see the logic there? It's the logic of marriage. When I got married, I was made into Holly's husband. Done. And now I'm called to be Holly's husband, to live out that reality. These things don't cancel each other out. They go together. You can't be like, Jesus has made me holy, therefore what I do now doesn't matter. That makes no sense. That's like me trying to say, I married Holly, therefore what I do now doesn't matter. I can live as if I'm single. 
Just like I have been united to Holly, made her husband, so I'm called to live as her husband, we have been united to Jesus, made holy, so called to be holy, to be his holy, set-apart people. That's what it means to be a saint, to be set apart for his purposes, not mine, not indulging in whatever I want. No. He set me free from that. He is Where does self-indulgence get us anyway? Has anyone tried to find satisfaction there? Christ has set us free from the bottomless black hole of self-indulgence that can never satisfy. And he has set us free to indulge in the only thing that will satisfy your heart's desires, himself. Shades, the call to be a saint? I don't know what you think when you hear that. Probably something boring, some stoic like halo heart playing thing or whatever. The call to be a saint It's not that. It is a call away from self-indulging on death to self-indulge on life in Christ. That is all. That is all given to you by grace. That's the foundation of our calling. It kills self-promotion. It kills self-indulgence. And guess what? It kills self-sufficiency. Look at verse 2 one last time. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In other words, Paul is saying, Corinth, this calling is not a solo calling. It's a calling given to a people God's people, and not just God's people in Corinth, but God's people in every place, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Shades, this is our calling too. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a calling that we need each other to complete. We have been called to be saints together. It's not an individual project. The Bible's vision of personal holiness isn't personal. (laughs) Not overwhelmingly. It's something that we are called to pursue together. None of us are sufficient for this calling. And God in his grace has called us into the very family we need. Truly, we are less without one another. We are a body that needs every part. This this is part of the foundation of our calling. God's grace hasn't just saved you individually, it has saved you into his people. Shades, do you see, do you see how grace, the foundation of our calling, it kills the culture of Corinth? The the very culture that we often embrace, the culture of self-promotion, self-indulgence, self sufficiency. And here's the beauty. It doesn't just kill it, it replaces it. That's what we see, think, and the second thing that empowers our calling as saints. We've seen the foundation of our calling, grace. Number two, second thing that's going to lift the weight of this calling, empower us to make it possible. Number two, the faithfulness of our call. We've seen the foundation of our call, now the faithfulness of our call. Look at verses 3 through 7. Grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? The faithfulness of our call? I hope from these verses you see very quickly and clearly that I'm not talking about our faithfulness. I'm talking about God's. God has called us to be saints, his set-apart people for his purposes. And what does he do right here in verses 3 through 7? He promises to provide everything we need to be who he has called us to be. Is that not precisely what Paul says in verse 3? Grace to you. Not just back then. This is present tense. Right now, Corinth. God's grace and peace to you. I know it's God's because he says grace and peace to you from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is a present prayer from Paul. And he is asking for it to be answered right now as he writes. God's grace to you right now, Corinth. His peace to you right now. In other words, may God give you all that you need right now, even through what I'm writing May this letter be a means of God's grace where he is graciously giving you what you need to be the saints he's called you to be. Shades, grace, for Paul, when we hear the word grace, we often only think past tense. God saved me, made me right with him by his grace. But for Paul, that's only one piece of the picture of what grace is. Grace for Paul isn't merely something that God gave us so that we would be made right with God, saved in the past. No, grace is God giving us himself through Christ, which, yes, makes us right with God, but it also empowers us right now to follow him. God's grace is not just what he gave us in justification. It's also what he gives us in sanctification. It's what will bring us home to glorification. In other words, grace is not just Jesus pardoning my sin in the past. It's Jesus empowering me in the present. That's a gift too. That's precisely how Paul describes it in verses 4 through 7. Look at it again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of what? The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And now he describes what he means. What was this grace given to them? That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that was given to Corinth was an equipping an empowering grace that enriched them so they wouldn't lack anything they needed to make it all the way to the end, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, Shades, is not just God getting us in. It's God sustaining us to the end, giving us everything we need. This is the faithfulness of our call, grace. God giving us what we need to be who he's called us to be. Saints, he is faithful to give us 
all grace. Chase, do you see? Do you see how this not only kills Corinthian self-promotion, self-sufficiency, and self-indulgence, it replaces it? Self-promotion is replaced with Christ-promotion. Look at verse 4 again. Paul says, I give thanks to God because of the grace given to you in Christ. I promote him. I praise him. I give thanks to him because this has nothing to do with you. Self-promotion replaced with Christ-promotion. Self-sufficiency is replaced with Christ-sufficiency. Look at verse 5. Paul says, in every way you were enriched, verse 7, so that you're not lacking in any gift. Everything you need has been given to you as a gift in Christ. Here's what's really wild. If you look at the text, Paul specifically mentions two specific gifts that the Corinthians have been given in Christ, speech and knowledge. We're going to see a lot more in the coming weeks about what he means specifically, but those are specifically two things the Corinthians thought made them self-sufficient. We're gifted in speech. We're gifted in knowledge. And Paul says, nope. Those don't make you self-sufficient. Those are gifts from God. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your midst, confirming the testimony about Christ. Those two terms that I just mentioned out of verse 6, confirming the testimony about Christ, those are terms from, a Roman legal, from the Roman legal system. Basically, what Paul is saying in terms that the Corinthians can understand is, I testified to the gospel of Christ among you, and the evidence confirming my testimony was true is you received the Holy Spirit like I said you would. God confirmed that my testimony is true. He is the one in your midst at work empowering you. Self-sufficiency, Corinth, I don't think so. It's been replaced with everything that he's giving you. It's been replaced with Christ's sufficiency. And self-indulgence has been replaced with Christ's indulgence. I think that's what we see through our third and final thing that empowers our calling. Third and final, we've seen the foundation of our call, the faithfulness of our call. Third and final thing, the future of our call. The future of our call. Look at verses 8 and 9. God will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Shades, do you see the past, present, future flow of Paul's thought here? In the, in the overall passage, past, the foundation of our call is grace. Christ's righteousness, given to us freely, saved us, sanctified, made us holy. That replaces self-promotion with Christ's promotion. You can't promote yourselves. You can only give praise to Christ. Present. The faithfulness of our call. What we need to live it out right now. It's grace. 
Christ enriches us with all that we need. That replaces self-sufficiency with Christ's sufficiency. The future of our call. Grace. Is that not what he says? God will sustain you to the end. Blameless. Those two words? Another two words out of the Roman legal system. As a matter of fact, the word sustain and the word confirm back up in verse 6, same word. They're just translated differently in your English. In other words, the flow of Paul's thought is this. I testified about the gospel amongst you. God confirmed it by giving you the Holy Spirit. And he will do that same thing in the end. He will sustain you by that same spirit all the way to the end where the testimony about you will be this, blameless because of Jesus. The future of our call is grace. God will sustain you all the way to the end, to give you the greatest gift in the end, Christ in fullness. Is that not what he says? We get to the end, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we see him face to face and get him in full. He is the gift. Shades, he's grace. Grace is not a what. It's a who. And it's Jesus. The foundation that I said is grace, it's Christ. You're united to him, and he makes you right and righteous. Christ promotion. The faithfulness of our call, that I said was grace, it's Christ. He's present, giving you everything that you need. Christ's sufficiency. The future of our call, grace, we get Christ. He is all we need, and we get to indulge for eternity. Indeed, that gift is given to you now. You have been called, Paul says. You've been called into the fellowship of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. It's, it's more than just what we think of. My background, when you say the word fellowship, I think covered dish potluck thing going on. It's much deeper than that. Koinonia is fellowship, partnership, participation. It's a partaking. Think the table Think communion, where we partake of Christ, where he is like the food that satisfies our hunger and the drink that quenches our thirst. Shades, you are invited to come and to indulge in him to your heart's satisfaction. Self-indulgence replaced with Christ-indulgence. Shades, do, do you see right now, right now in the midst of our crazy world where you have been called to be saints, that calling is not a weight, it's wings. It's wings to set you free because it's all of grace. It's all given to you by God. He saved you in the past, empowers you in the present, and will sustain you all the way home to full joy in Jesus. All of that is a gift of his grace for you to simply receive by faith. Shades do. Do you see how it's a possibility to answer our calling to be saints? It's possible because God provides every ounce of power to answer it. We receive it by faith. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to see right here at the outset. It's what he wants us to see. I, uh, I've only got one kid left that's light enough for me to still toss up in the air. Solomon. And like all of his siblings before him, no matter how many times I have tossed him before, 
When I offer to do it again, he doesn't believe that I will catch him. So what do I do? I point him to the past. Tossed you before. Caught you every time. And I point him to the future. I promise I will catch you again. The past and that promise are meant to empower his faith in the present for him to trust that I will provide the power that I have promised. And if he will trust, then through his faith, he gets to experience that power. It becomes wings, not a weight that glues his feet to the ground. Shades, this is what Paul is laying out before us, what God has done in the past and what he promises to do in the future so that it stirs up our faith to believe he will provide every ounce of power in the present to be what he's called us to be, saints. Will you answer that call with me? Like as we journey through 1 Corinthians, will you believe as we see again and again and again and again, example after example after example of what it means to be saints in this world. It is not a light calling, but will you believe that God has given you wings, everything you need to be the distinct people he is calling you to be, a people who put Jesus on display? Will we believe that Jesus really is all we need to be saints? to the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.